Okay, Pasa Mufasa. Hallo, wie geht's? Ich bin Deutschland. I'm in Berlin right now. What's up, everybody? Hi, how's it going? Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. And we've got Brandon DeRoach of Propeller on the podcast today. Propeller is a platform that inspires activism and helps build movements for change. And Brandon and Propeller have collaborated with some of the most prolific artists on the planet, some of whom we're going to talk about today. I met Brandon in Austin at South by Southwest, and I just got to attend one of Propeller's parties in Denver at the Psychedelic Science Conference earlier in the summer. I'm on the guest list for a proper Euro Psytrance club tonight called Ohm in Berlin. So I'm going to wear a bunch of leather and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. You want to try the Hannes? Yeah, I've just, yes. I'm staying with my good friend Martin Seidler here, and he actually is asking me if I want to wear a harness tonight to this club. So <laughs> might as well try it on. Don't knock it till you tried it. That's my mantra. All right, we'll see what happens. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you for your support, and please consider rating and reviewing this podcast wherever you're listening. It's super helpful in helping the Micopreneur podcast reach a broader audience. Without further ado, let's get the show on the road. Shalom and salam alaikum. What's up, everybody? We've got Brandon DeRoche from Propeller in the house. Good to see you again, Brandon. How are things in Malibu today? Good to see you, Dennis. Uh, things are good. They're sunny as usual. Beautiful. Yeah, I love that part of the world. I'm from San Diego, born and raised. I've lived in Malibu for a period of time and a lot of things to celebrate in that area. So now I understand that you've been working at the intersection of music, tech, and social impact for the majority of your career, which started as a musician, of course. And you've been responsible for coordinating and producing numerous campaigns with major artists like Incubus, Jack Johnson, many, many more, where essentially you leverage the platform that these artists have to create positive social impact. Can you give us some tangible examples of some of these campaigns that you've coordinated and outline some of the measurable impacts that they've achieved, Brandon? Yeah, and you did a good job with that, so thank you. We've done probably over a thousand campaigns now so there's a lot of examples i think one that tends to come to mind quickly for me is lizzo we we've done lizzo's juneteenth campaign which just happened in june obviously for the second second year in a row and that started last year where she has an annual juneteenth campaign where she gives back she puts together all kinds of amazing prizes last year the the grand prize in the campaign was to win a trip to be lizzo's big girl for the day in san francisco where the winners got to go and bring three friends and go on stage and learn dance moves with her and just have all this, this special time before the show amongst all kinds of other different prizes and things that were part of it. And what she was trying to do was raise awareness and drive action and raise money for different black-led grassroots organizations. And so those were organizations from, she's from all kinds of different places, but Minnesota being one of them. And so different organizations from there, as well as um, she wanted to support reproductive rights. So that was through Planned Parenthood. And that was like, we launched this campaign and about, I think within a week after putting it up, um, the Dobbs decision happened. And so Lizzo already had this campaign that was supporting reproductive rights. And she ended up then um, giving $500,000 and having Live Nation match $500,000 to give to Planned Parenthood. And we had, um, I think, almost, almost 50,000 people take action as part of that campaign, signing petitions. To, uh, I think it raised like... 
well over 100 grand, I don't know the exact number, um, for a number of these organizations. And so every campaign is different. You know, that's sort of something that's unique about Propeller. Um, sometimes it's just about fundraising. Sometimes there's all kinds of different actions that people are looking to take. Sometimes it, it's around a very specific initiative that someone has. And so the outcomes are never quite the same as they, they vary per campaign and what we're focused on. Totally. You know, a funny story that comes to mind is I went to college with an artist named Stephen Chung, who goes by the name Telly, and he actually played the piano part on Truth Hurts that garnered a ton of no, no attention. Way. Yeah, and it was, you know, I worked with him on a few projects back in the day. We did a student film together, and we always knew he was a talented artist, but seeing that level of recognition was fantastic. He got two Grammy nominations out of that, and I was always really stoked to be like, that's one of my old, you know, peers from college. So, Cool. Huge Lizzo fan over here. So my next question is, how do psychedelics and drug policy reform fit into your mission with Propeller? Because I know that's an area of interest that you've identified and been working towards spreading awareness around. And of course, many artists have used psychedelics, whether or not that's publicly admitted, but they seem to have this intrinsic tie to the creative process for a lot of people. So how in particular do psychedelics and this idea of mental health and increased awareness of mental health fit into the mission of Propeller? This honestly goes back pretty far for me. I think, you know, I first tried psychedelics in high school and they became quickly kind of a big part of my life and influential. And then I played in a band, as you mentioned, and got my bandmates to try mushrooms and these different things that ended up influencing them in a very positive way as well. And I think it's a large part of why I got fixated on this idea and my band got fixated on the idea of like how we can use a platform for something positive. Like if you have an audience at any level that can be used for something positive. And so it kind of sent me down this path. During that time, I, you know, had all these sort of insights. I'm from York, Pennsylvania. Psychedelics like in my school were very prevalent, but they were not like necessarily prevalent everywhere. And I had all these thoughts that I, I kind of gained, I guess, from psychedelics and didn't really know where to take that and I heard someone talking one day about some things and I said like tell me more about that and they introduced me to Ramdas and I got into Ramdas and then that became something for me that sent me down a whole path of you know teachers like Ramdas and Eckhart Tolle and Alan Watson and all these these different people that really kind of became the foundation for all the work that I do today and when I first started doing this work I didn't know anything about uh, most any nonprofits. And when people would ask like what my cause is that I care about, I said consciousness. That was like really what I was after more than anything is like, how do we elevate consciousness? And I think that that is sort of going to the root of all these different issues, like, you know, whatever it might be that, you know, it's um, that we work on today. Um, and so I was lucky enough to start working with Ram Dass and his foundation back in like 2013, probably, and um, did a number of projects with Ram Dass, we raised a lot of money and like helped spread his teachings to a new generation of people. And um, I did it. I did some of those with a guy named Justin Beretta, who was an artist in a, a group called the Glitch Mob. And um, and he, like those projects with Ram Dass went very well. Um, Justin was always posting on his socials like different news about psychedelics and you know different laws that were happening or like you know bills that were being introduced and stuff. And I would see this and I never really thought about psychedelics as a cause. I just, you know, it, as much as I had been doing around causes, it wasn't really, you know, thinking about how psychedelics could actually fit within the ecosystem of Propeller. And it was just one day it dawned on me and I reached out to Justin, like, why are we not treating psychedelics as a cause and adding that and doing campaigns around psychedelics? And so him and I really put our heads together 
And that was kind of where Portal stemmed from, was like, you know, we came up with the name, we, we figured out the mission that we wanted to serve, and um, started, you know, partnering with different people in the space, and um, including, you know, outlets like Double Blind, as well as organizations like, like Maps and, you know, Heroic Hearts and Fireside Project, and a lot of other organizations that are in the space. And, and so, to me, um, mental health comes up all the time. Like, all, so many artists and influencers we work with talk about mental health. Mental health is such a challenging thing that yes, there's organizations working on things like suicide prevention or suicide like crisis hotlines and all these other things. But really, like to me, it's like what is going to improve someone's mental health? And um, and you know, I think people are very careful to say psychedelics are not a silver bullet, and I agree with that. Um, but I do think that they are something that can really radically shift perspective quickly in a lot of people. And so um, to us. We are just saying, hey, this is out here. We want to, it's all, Portal is all about the responsible use of psychedelics and how it benefits people's mental health or how it can benefit people's mental health. And so we're trying to introduce people to that in the right way. And across all of Propeller, it's not just preaching to the choir. I think that that's a big part of what we do for all the organizations and causes that we support. So, um, you know, Portal can be something for people that are already are in the know of psychedelics or in the, in the field. Um, but really we're reaching people that maybe have tried psychedelics in their life, or maybe they're just seeing all this stuff in the news all the time and um, don't really know much else. And so we're trying to bring them in, introduce them to organizations in the space that are doing great work, and then just all the benefits of psychedelics and how they can join and support the movement overall. So it's relatively new for us. Um, we've been working on Portal for about two years and um, I really think there's a exciting future of where it can go. A hundred percent. You know, I always tell people back when I got interested in psychedelics in 2006, there wasn't really a public ecosystem that you could talk about these things. Right. And there wasn't an industry or anything like that. But everybody I knew, myself included, who had a cathartic psychedelic experience, went and started a band. We got into music. We got it. That was the pipeline. Right. That was. So, you know, it was pretty commonplace in Southern California, which leads to the next topic I'd love to talk about, which is your collaboration with Incubus and with Brandon Boyd. We met in Austin briefly and you were on a panel with our mutual friend Devin Phillips and, of course, Brandon Boyd and a few other people. And I believe the premise of that panel was talking about how artists can leverage their platforms to publicly discuss psychedelics and the role of psychedelics in their life. And Devin is very amped up on this topic, too, about using pop culture as a vehicle for spreading this message, right? There's the psychedelic renaissance, you might call it, or psychedelic research. That's almost like a whole other arm of like people who are academically inclined and reading white papers. But I often say, I didn't come to psychedelics through learning about them from a scientific lens or canon. I came from, you know, eating mushrooms and listening to Radiohead and going, whoa, what is this, right? And like, that's what gets me excited. So what is the role of pop culture in spreading awareness about psychedelics and educating people about psychedelics and mental health? It can probably vary, but I think that the way we view this for psychedelics and any causes we support is just the fact that they have a platform. They have, you know, an audience that listens to them and respects them and um, is curious to hear what they have to say. And so... Some artists, this is completely out of left field with any type of cause. And it's, you know, their audience isn't there for that. If you're a big pop star and giving back to causes and activism, all that stuff's not really part of your ethos, it might not really resonate with your fans if you start talking about 
psychedelics or any cause that you have because it's just not like part of your DNA. But a lot of artists, especially today, I feel like it's been part of their brand, so to speak, um, their, the whole time that they've been in, in the public sphere. And um, when they talk about causes, their fans listen. And we've seen this with artists that are, you know, nowhere near the size of a pop star, but can make at least, if not greater of an impact than than a superstar can, just because their fans, are, they really have that connection with their fans and they know it's, it's, it's authentic in what they support. And so I think with the case of psychedelics, the role that a lot of these artists and influencers can play is that as they sort of step out of the psychedelic closet, they're letting their fans know that like this has been part of who they are and what's led to maybe some of their you know their music or whatever their 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 creative outlet is and how it's benefited their mental health or whatever else it's it, how it's worked for them i think there's there's a lot of opportunity that again just being sort of the megaphone for for getting this out there to a wider audience and helping to destigmatize the responsible use of psychedelics i just think that that's kind of the crux of it and i think as you said there's been so many artists that i'm sure psychedelics have played a, a role in their life but they have never talked about it publicly the more artists start to do that the more it's not taboo for them to do that and i think that you're going to start seeing a lot more to start to speak up about it there's been like this circle of artists that i keep seeing from the jaden smiths and the reggie watts and you know that they keep coming up as like the psychedelics uh, music people or what have you, but there's so many more beyond that. And so, yeah, I mean, and that's it. I think with, with Brandon specifically with Incubus, I worked for them for, I used to run their foundation and I've known them for a long time, going back to my band days. And I knew it was something that had been a part of his life and others in the band's life. And so it was very natural to just bring it up and um, know that it's something that's just different for a lot of people to talk about. I think similar to how I felt, most artists don't see psychedelics or haven't seen psychedelics as a cause. And so they're being approached all the time by organizations like, you know, around climate change, maybe around cancer, all these things that are important, but like there's so many people that have supported that over the years. And then to get asked to do something around psychedelics just feels new and different. And I think exciting to have that opportunity for people. You know, a major artist who has been hugely influential in my life and who you may have even worked with, and I'd like to talk about it, also opened my eyes to a lot of these broader causes at a young age, and that was Tom York and Radiohead. And I believe the first time I ever heard of Fair Trade Chocolate was seeing a Tom York ad where he was collaborating with them. And then, you know, seeing all of the different activism that they were doing around the environment and about minimizing their carbon footprint. And like, this came at a seminal age for me when I was 18 years old, headed off to school in San Francisco, just getting really into this band and then recognizing, wow, by learning more about this band and the platform that they have, I'm actually learning about a ton of other important causes specifically you know, connected to the environment. And that ended up getting me to want to pursue an environmental studies degree, which I switched to a media degree and I'm quite happy I did, but it had a huge impact on me at that time. And I suppose that's the result of effective campaigning. And I know that Radiohead has collaborated with Oxfam and with a number of different charities, that probably being one of the most prominent ones. So, and of course they did the Tibetan freedom concerts in the late nineties with REM and Michael Stipe was very outspoken and continues to be about that. Again, just people using their platform that all of a sudden you want to connect with these causes, you want to learn more about them and you suddenly become a part of that cause. So did you in fact work with Tom York? Cause I think I saw something around there and can you describe that collaboration? A long time ago, yes. And it was um, actually predates Propeller, 
we did something with Radiohead specifically. We might have done something as well just with Tom York that seems to ring a bell, but um, I honestly don't remember what we did with Radiohead. It was probably over 10 years ago. Um, I believe we gave away a trip to, to go to one of their shows, and it, I can tell you it was through Greenpeace. Um, Tom and, Green, and Radiohead had done a lot of work with Greenpeace and Greenpeace UK. We were doing a lot of work with Greenpeace at the time. And um, they had such amazing artists that supported their work um, in the uh, around uh, drilling in the Arctic and um, a number of other campaigns. And so it was a pretty simple initiative we did, but it was one of the first things I ever did. And so it was very exciting because I'm also yeah a huge Radiohead fan and just fan of all things Tom. Totally. That that just stood out to me. So thanks for indulging me in that. So. You, I wish I had a more elaborate <laughs> story to share with it. I, I do not, but it was... Uh, you know, that's my job, Brandon, is to be a spin doctor and to, you know, maximize the most modest contributions I've made to a project. So good on you for showing some hum humility. It's really important. Now, I was on the Propeller website, and I noticed that you can earn points for various actions. And when I browse the website, I currently have zero points. I want to change that. How can I start accruing some Propeller points, and what do those earn me? Yes, please do that. Um, you earn them by taking action and creating impact. And so there's all kinds of different ways you can earn points on the platform. Um, currently on the site, this, there's a section that just says earn points. You can go in there. Um, we divide that up by what we call our movements, and that's things like um, uh, all the different organizations that are part of the, the climate movement that we're supporting, or the psychedelic movement, or, or um, LGBTQ rights, and there's a number of different issue areas we're focused on year-round in partnership with leading organizations in all those different categories. And so the actions that you see on the platform um, are almost entirely from those organizations. Sometimes they're less affiliated with an organization, they're just a straight-up action. But every time you complete those actions or make a donation, you're in points. Those points can be used for things like once-in-a-lifetime experiences, like the trip to meet Lizzo and be her big girl for the day or going to Paris to meet Justin Bieber or all kinds of other things that might be more appropriate for your audience as well, um, <laughs> depending on who's, who's watching this. Um, and then we also have, and so with the sweepstakes, you're getting a chance to win. The more points you redeem, the more entries you're getting and you can increase your chances of winning, but ultimately we press a button and it draws a winner at random. Um, but there are rewards on the site that um, if you have enough points, you can just redeem them. So um, you don't, it's not a chance to win, it's automatic. And then we also have um, ways that you can use your points for philanthropic purposes. So you can use your points to plant trees, which we do with um, an organization called One Tree Planted. You can use your points to feed people through um, Feeding America and Conscious Alliance. And um, we work with End Overdose. You can use your points to um, basically sponsor drug testing strips at, at live concerts. Um, just a number of different ways that the points can be used. And it's something that we're constantly adding to and um, we'll continue to have a lot more different ways you can, you can spend your points. But it's all meant to be motivation to get people to come in and take action and take more action than they would um, if they weren't getting something in return. And hopefully through that process, like. They eventually don't care about the points, <laughs> but it makes it fun. It's sort of a gamified environment, and um, and that's really the intention for it. It's just what we found was that there were so many organizations um, not able to reach new people and um, not be able to didn't really know how to effectively engage people. And um, even when we'd see like an artist post about something, if there was no prize involved or anything like that, you'd be shocked. Potentially, you'd be shocked at least around seeing an artist that has maybe. 
tens of millions of Instagram followers that can only send 200 people to, you know, to a site to take action for a cause. And it feels like this big deal to see that happen. And then, and then ultimately there's not any impact created versus what we've seen when there is a prize involved that, that have that initial carrot for the fan. So many more people come and take action. Um, and so that's been sort of the crux of propeller, um, to date and likely will always be there. We'll see. Hell yeah. So how do you actually measure the impact, right? There's the idea like that which you can measure, you can improve. What are some of the metrics or parameters for how you can quantify the impact that one of your campaigns has achieved? Well, I mean, the a lot of the actions are inherently like built into propellers. So we know when someone signs a petition for an organization, donates, watches a video, shares content, um, uh, pledges to vote or like signs up to get election reminders, like all these different actions that are on the platform. We... None of that's guesswork for us, and so um, there's no honor system or anything like that. It's all all tracked and, and measured in that sense. So we can report back to the artists we're partnered with and the nonprofits, to our, our user community on um, how many actions, what actions have happened, and, and so forth and so on. Um, where we lose track of things and where things we want to improve on how we can make things even more measurable is really in tandem with the organization. So... You know, our mission we describe as inspiring activism and helping build movements for change. Um, when it comes to the movement building, so much of what we're doing is just introducing an organization and then connecting that person with that organization. And then that organization essentially is taking over the communication and, you know, continuing to engage them. And so we lose sight of what might happen eventually once they're on an organization's list and, and all the things that organization is doing. Um, what we'd like to get to is being able to continue to say, like, here's all the ways that we're continuing to create change and providing other tangible ways that we are, we are creating impact. And so um, that's sort of a shift that we're, we're, we're thinking through a lot right now as to, like, where this could go and, um, you know, have very specific projects that people are fundraising, that they're fundraising for, um, and really getting people, you know, into goals in different ways that that, that impact only becomes more measurable and, and the impact becomes more impactful, Amen. <laughs> you know, it just, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think for us, like we've kind of feel like we've gotten propeller at this point. We have 1.6 million registered users. We work with all kinds of great artists and festivals and, and, you know, people outside of music as well, along with all kinds of organizations that are reputable and leading the way in their respective categories. Um, we're, we're in this great position, but we really want to take it to the next phase now in all, all different categories of what we're doing to make it bigger and better. That sounds lame, but just, in, you know, more impactful, um, finding more radical ways we can drive change. And, and so we're always open to ideas as well. So I'd love to hear from, from you or anyone out there as well as what they'd like to see and changes they'd like to make. Oh, baby. Yeah, let me sit on that for a minute, but I can <laughs> definitely contribute something. So let's talk about music and talk about festivals. You know, that's something that drove my involvement in psychedelics from the earliest days. You know, like uh, oftentimes if I had a psychedelic experience, it didn't really kick in until the soundtrack came on. And then, you know, so many good soundtracks, you start going down the rabbit hole, start learning about all these incredible eccentric artists and oftentimes obscure artists, right, who have this huge impact on you. And I noticed that you put together a panel at Bonnaroo. I believe. And I want to say that already happened. That's a festival I've never been to. It's a rite of passage. I'm a Californian. I've been to Coachella, Outside Lands, all those. But Bonnaroo kind of always, you know, holds its own among any, any other festival in the world, among the Glastonburys and the Fuji Rocks and all of that. So can you describe a little bit about your experience at Bonnaroo this year and what that panel was all about? Yeah, well, I'll, I will say that Bonnaroo to me is a festival that 
has always held a special place in my heart, and that's because I went there, and you know, my first one was 2009. I had friends in high school who were at the very first one, um, but you know, it's a thousand-acre farm in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. And um, no offense to the people that live in the Manchester area, but it's not a lot going on down there. <laughs> and um, the cool thing about that is that you're, you know, similar to like a Burning Man, you're out there and there's not a lot of hotels around. So like it's really hard to get a hotel and you can stay on site and um, not have to leave the experience. And that's, you know, some of their festivals close at 11 or midnight and you go into the city and stay in a hotel or whatever. It's just a whole different experience. Whereas Bonner, the music goes... Um, I think till five in the morning on a lot of stages. And so um, the opportunity there is, you know, you, you, you feel like sometimes it's just warming up at 2 a.m., you know, and you're having this amazing time out on this farm with all these people who are having a shared experience and don't just leave at the end of the night. And so um, I was always intrigued by Bonnaroo and it became my favorite festival way, way back then because of those reasons. And so um, we've been working with Bonnaroo for the past, I think, four or five years. And um, we do a number of different programs with them, both like digitally in advance of the festival, as well as during the festival, we work to engage people. This year, we um, proposed doing a panel with them around that was very similar to what you were describing that we did at South by Southwest and how um, music, they also included cannabis, um, can play a role in, um, uh, sorry, how psychedelics and cannabis can play a role in, in music. And that can span a number of different topics from creative you know, creativity to artists using their platform. Um, I <laughs> ended up not being on the panel, even though I organized it, because I had to go deal with some other things that were happening at the time. And um, I don't know if you know Ali Shaper from oh, Supermush, yeah. but she Definitely. was on the panel with me. Shout out, and Ali. She, shout out to Ali, because she took charge and she ran the panel. And of course um, she did. from all I heard, she did an amazing job, and I think it was very natural for her to do so. And it was very well attended, which was, I think, the, the good news is that there was... Um, a lot of people there that were very interested in the topic, and I think that we'll look to do something again in the future at Bonnaroo around this, you know, a similar topic around psychedelics. Hell yeah. Well, next time someone bails out, hit me up. I'm there. So You're in. Let's go. You're in. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> now, uh, let's talk about that Denver Portal event, because I had an amazing time. We missed each other there, but I came despite the pounding hail, and for anybody who is unaware of this event, it was an incredible event. And the hail and the, the weather around it were completely out of pocket. Like there were people standing in line for, you know, two hours just getting pounded with hail. You still managed to fill up that venue. Everybody had a great time. And I know that the headlining artist Bonobo was forced to cancel because of the weather. So how did that event pan out for you? Because I had a blast, let me tell you, from my angle. Well, thank you so much. And I'm happy you, you were there and you made it in and had a great time. I think that was the case for most people that made it in. Um, we felt, you know, we, we felt torn at the end of it because we were, we felt very proud that the event happened and we pulled it off. Um, because the reason I did not do the psychedelics panel at Bonnaroo was because I found out while I was there that the venue we had been planning on for four months did not get its permit. And we, so that was at Bonnaroo. And then by the time we found a new venue, we had about three days to change venues into the venue where it was, which, um, that venue, the, the staff was extremely accommodating. We're extremely grateful that they allowed us to do it there and we made it happen. Um, what we had planned for the Sports Castle was just a completely different setting. You know, it was this 1920s 
Chrysler dealership and had these you know grand staircases and chandeliers and it was um, we were going to use five out of the six floors each with different programming and so we had to basically retrofit that into a new venue with three days notice and then by the time we opened up the doors as you noted um, crazy storm hail all of that and the whole thing was just one blow after the next as far as like the roller coaster of it all um, and so Again, very proud it happened. It was, I didn't expect it to be easy. I just didn't know it was going to be like one blow after the next. Um, and then we, you know, Bonobo, um, because of the weather, had an emergency landing. I think he was stuck in New Mexico and then it was trying to get a private plane. And we didn't find out till midnight that night that um, he officially was not going to be able to make it. And so obviously a bummer. Um, but we're going to do more events. Um, every, everything's a learning experience for us. We had never done anything on that scale before. We've done smaller, like 200 person events. And, um, you know, I think that I, I, I wrote a post after that, um, that we put on our socials and it, it really is just like, I think with everyone in psychedelics, we're trying to take a big leap forward here. And, um, to me, it's like, I don't want to do boring stuff and I've been to psychedelic conferences where like the main after parties are just at a bar and it's very straight ahead and kudos to the people putting those together and if that's you know but I, I wanted to do something different that matched the excitement of what's happening in psychedelics and um, at a level of production that I feel like is an event that I would want to attend as just you know someone going to these conferences and so we really rolled the dice on doing this event at all and we were really happy to see the response to it and being able to sell tickets and all of that um, but they're only going to get better from here moving forward and so um, we are planning what we're doing next and um, really think there's an opportunity to do a lot of events in that kind of realm um, as we continue down the line and it's a big part of what I want to do overall with Portal and, and Propeller in general. You know as someone who's been to around a dozen of these psychedelic conferences over the last year I definitely think you set a high watermark. It was a really well executed event that looked like and felt like it was produced by music industry professionals, by event production professionals. And I say that, you know, having gone to a number of these after parties you've described, which are great for networking, but there was an element of production and the visual aesthetic, the design, you know, the different stakeholders and partners. Double Blind was involved. Of course, our Mission Club, our mutual friend Rod Siraj, who was on the podcast again yesterday. And just like a really wonderful confluence of creative individuals. So I would hope to see more of those types of parties in the future. And, you know, when once one group starts doing better, then hopefully it inspires more organizations organizers and conferences is go, we got to up our game too, right? Because that is one of the criticisms I've heard about psychedelic conferences, which I've also made being somewhat new to the, you know, emergent industry that I've been to conventions that are in these very sterilely fluorescent lit, you know, trade show halls. And you go, that's not very psychedelic, you know, uh, it's not super psychedelic. So can we find a way to bridge some of what the music industry can do really well in the event production industry with these really important discussions and conferences that are more geared towards maybe the science or the research side of psychedelics. So kudos to you. I'm also curious about how you saw the mental health in the music industry affected by the pandemic. Because of course the pandemic affected a ton of people's mental health for a number of different reasons. But I think musicians in particular are, are already, you know, a very creative and often kind of fragile type in many cases. And to have your whole line of work and your whole industry just wiped out, you know, that's got to take a huge toll. So have you noticed like a proclivity for more musicians and artists to 
seek out mental health treatment and to start talking about these things in the wake of the pandemic and having essentially two to three years of their touring and their lives upended? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that um, one of the things that I, I feel like has become very common now that I don't know that it was at all before the pandemic was artists deciding to either pause their tour or cancel their tour um, because of mental health reasons. And they're just like, hey, I'm not mentally prepared to do this. I need to take a beat and get in the right, you know, work on my mental health before I go out. And touring is not natural. You know, it's like people just come to the show and they want to be entertained and they're excited to see their artists and just assume that's that's it. Most of touring is sitting around and waiting and no matter what tour that you're on it's not really it's not really glamorous and it's not really fun after a while that you've been doing it i mean i think artists most of them like to play and they enjoy the actual show but that shows 90 minutes out of you know their their day and um and it's just hard you're away from your family and loved ones most of the time and um you're just kind of I don't know what the right word is, but you're just out there to go go perform and, and bring in the money <laughs> and whatever else, you know. But so I think it, is, it does take a toll on their mental health. And, you know, there's so many classic stories of um, uh, musicians being held up by different drugs and other things to, to make it through these tours. And, and that's kind of what they've turned to in the past and not, not like bad drugs, you know. And um, I think that that there's now a shift. And there's also... Every artist wants to support mental health. It's something that we come across when we do our campaigns. Like it's just so common. People want to support mental health, and so um, I think it it really resonates with people. And most of that's because they have their own mental health challenges um, uh, since predating the pandemic. But it's um, but definitely something that I think is like a lot more people are a lot more willing to talk about now post pandemic. Totally, I think that's the key is that people are willing to be proactive about their mental health. There used to be, and still is to some degree, but less so now, so much stigma associated with it. You know, and like I come from a background of sports and like alpha male sports culture and like the idea of seeing a therapist somehow conferred weakness you know it was like oh this person's seeing a shrink or whatever but i think that's one of the fundamental changes i noticed post pandemic is people being more willing to speak about these things and say like hey if i'm struggling that doesn't make me a weak person or a bad person you know the worst thing you could probably do is try to bottle that up and pretend like it's not happening and then you know have get burned out and i tell people all the time too like you know, if they're trying to pursue an entrepreneurial path, it's like avoid burnout, whatever you can do. Like there's this, you know, it, it's sexy to like do too much and do the most and do it. But it's like burnout is probably one of the top reasons why artists spin out with their career, you know, go down uh, a path that probably they don't want to go down in the first place. So that's one thing that, yeah. that I've noticed. Well, I mean, it's also it's also a mind fuck to be an artist. It's like, you know, if you're if you were a nobody one day, just a nobody meaning you're just a musician struggling to make it and then your song blows up on TikTok and all of a sudden you got this fans everywhere and like you know you're going on this tour and you're playing big shows and people want to meet you it's and there's press and there's all these other things that come with it it's very overwhelming and um and you were just you know at home probably before that and didn't didn't have any of that and you're supposed to just all of a sudden be this this person that that's normal for and it's not it's not normal and i think it it's also going to be very lonely and cuz it's like other people can't really relate to that experience so i mean i experienced this on a very very small level when i was 18 and i was you know in a band right out of high school and started getting some attention from people and if we had gone on to be a big band overnight um i don't know what would happen i feel like we'd be egomaniacs and eventually have some sort of you know crisis 
mental health crisis like breakdown of some sort because it just it it yeah it's it's uh it's very challenging so i do have um you know there's a lot of glamour and stuff that it it looks like happening with a lot of the the artists and people that are, have that sort of fame but there's so much dark side to it as well or things that are not not glamorous um, that are easy for people or for the public to miss and it's so impressive when there is an artist or a band who's able to build like a sustainable touring career and there are certain artists that i will see every time they come through town or i'm near to them and one of those is the flaming lips hands down my favorite live act just got to see them in denver shout out to mike and donick and reggie and everyone in the good trip team and they just put on such a phenomenal show. Steve Poltz is another one. He's based in Nashville. I just love him. He's got kind of a cult following, and I'm one of the devotees. And so many more, but those immediately come to mind. Reggie Watts, I'll see him anytime I get a chance. Just like an insanely talented individual and creative. Who are some of your favorite live acts to catch? You know, I've seen Paul McCartney a bunch of times. The first time at Coachella in like 2009. Um, after taking acid <laughs> and so that was just a big moment in my life you know when I was 25 or so and um and you know she'll never forget and I ended up seeing him a couple other times um after that so just a massive one that I actually didn't realize I was going to be that into even though I love the Beatles and all that I just didn't know if I would truly care and just such a phenomenal show um I've seen Bonnie Vare a lot but there are a lot of Bonnie Vare shows that were some of my favorite shows I've ever been to I saw them for the first time in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery back in like 2009 and um he played at sunrise but the gates opened at midnight the night before and like they had um dj set they played a movie bottle rocket they did planet earth jungle edition then they had a 45 minute chant from the buddhist monks of los angeles and then all of a sudden it's like the sun's just starting to come up all this fog rolled in and then they went on on the stage and it was just like a surreal moment and um, those are the kinds of shows that I love is when artists are doing something that's truly unique. Um, I love just see, going to see a good band or um, any artist that has a great show but like when it's something that is outside of just like you know sort of a stale amphitheater, soulless amphitheater um, and they're doing something truly different to give their fans like a real experience like that's the those are the events I really lean into and also the type of events I want to create but um, Radiohead, as you mentioned, like that's another big one for me. I've seen Radiohead a number of times and, and it's always been an amazing show. Yeah, man, I'd love to see Bon Iver. I'm a big Justin Vernon fan and haven't caught him yet, but I've seen one of their live performances on YouTube at the Sydney Opera House and they do an acapella rendition of Heavenly Father. I'm like, that's one of those songs that just gets me every time, you know? And one of the things I really love about the live performance aspect is oftentimes a the energy of a song sometimes benefits more from being in this kind of chaotic live environment. Sometimes I think like the studio version is a little bit too sterile, even of a beautiful song. And like, that's a great example of that where like the voice is cracking, but it's just, you know, it's something that couldn't really be replicated in the studio. And I love that particular rendition. And that's one of the reasons I love festivals too, is, you know, I'm in my mid thirties now, so I'm not super into camping, even though I'm about to go to Hungary next week and camp for a week at a Psytrance festival, Lord help me. But like, I love seeing a ton of bands at once, you know, and like going to Coachella or Treasure Island or Outside Lands, hardly strictly bluegrass is one of my favorites in San Francisco. You get to see, you know, a hundred artists and like 
I might not go out of my way to see a Tiesto concert, but if Tiesto is playing on Saturday night at Coachella, I'm there, I'm having a great time. And that's one of my, you know, I, I like to share that with people. It's like, go to a festival and see 100 or 150 bands in, you know, three days that would be virtually impossible to see all of these live at one place. So you mentioned Bonnaroo being a quintessential festival that, you know, you, you had a big connection and continue to have a connection with what are some of the other festivals you've been to that you're a fan of um i've been to a lot i mean i think um outside lands is a beautiful festival it's um you know some of the same people that created bonnaroo and um it has sort of that burning man spirit to it but it's still like you know still has the commercial side of it as well but it's at golden gate park so it um it does close down early but um or like i don't know time 11 o'clock 10 or 11 o'clock but the setting is beautiful the all the decor and stuff that they do is very cool and um, they always have a good lineup so i really love that festival um lightning in a bottle is a very cool festival um i haven't been in a while since it's been at a new venue but i i just you know i think especially for people that are into psychedelics it's um you know burning man light in some ways but um and not as a <laughs> not many disrespectfully, I think it's it's amazing. Oh, my favorite festival I've ever been to is a festival called Day Zero Festival in Tulum. That's um, Damien Lazarus puts on that event, and um, I went in 2016, and it was um, I think we went maybe at like 10 o'clock at night, and it's in the middle of the Mayan jungle. Um, they have you know uh, a beautiful setting right at the cenotes. And um, I left at eight in the morning and I was probably one of the first people to leave and saw people later that, you know, later that evening that still hadn't gone home yet. So it's that kind of event and um, just a surreal environment and amazing music and all that. So highly recommend going to Day Zero in Tulum, which I think is usually in um, early January. I'm there. I'd love to go to more of an electronic vibe and internationally. Yeah, I'm going to three different Psytrance festivals in August in three different European countries. So I'm taking off to Ozora Festival. I get to speak out there and I'd never heard of it before. So first thing I do is Google and it's like 40,000 people out in the woods in Hungary. And I recognize a few of the artists on there. So that'll be cool. And then there's You're speaking one live to like a like a. I'm speaking, yeah. I'm gonna do like a some awesome. kind of keynote talk, so that'll be fun. I, I spoke at Breaking Convention, which is the largest psychedelic research conference in Europe, which is in England earlier this year. And somebody who's curating the lineup for Ozora saw me and was like, "Hey, do you want to come out?" And I said, "Absolutely, I do. I would love nothing more." <laughs> and then you know, I just started realizing, "Wow, there's a bunch of stuff going on." And that whole psytrance scene is kind of outside of my purview, but I look forward to getting to know it and to building some characters around it too i'm going to go full bore you know character study and uh, do some content so i love it look out for that cheers man yeah thank you now i've only got one or two more questions i wanted to dive into and one of them is how'd you get connected with maps uh they are such an impressive organization for so many reasons and i also think that they harbor this really unique point of influence in psychedelics where they connect so many different communities. That was one of my takeaways from psychedelic science is like the sheer diversity of the different stakeholders and movements, which kind of folded under or, or joined forces with maps for this conference was super impressive. How did you get connected with them? And can you speak about any ongoing collaborations you might have? Yeah, I, I, so when we first started putting together portal, um, Shelby and everyone at Double Blind were very um, instrumental in 
connecting us with organizations that they knew and respected and, um, you know, referred us to and introduced us to. And so um, I honestly don't remember if she introduced us to MAPS. I feel like she might have, but otherwise we might have just reached out cold and told them what we were trying to do and, and connect with them. And um, it's been sort of an ongoing but simple collaboration. Um, you know, you mentioned Devin, like Devin and I, obviously, because we're working on similar things, like we, we uh, collaborate quite a bit on the panel, and he was initially going to come to the Bonnaroo panel, um, and then other things um, as far as artist partnerships and, and so forth. MAPS is on Propeller as part of Portal. We are constantly bringing in people to take action for MAPS, both in terms of like simple things like learning who they are, joining their email list, to making donations for them, and, and um, um, different actions you know that land somewhere in between there. Um, I think there's a lot more we could be doing with MAPS and hopefully will be, but as you mentioned, they're certainly like the pivotal organization um, within the psychedelic space and um, great connectors and, and you know I think they're good collaborators with other organizations as well. It's been, um, you know, what, what I would tell you, you know, is that I think is interesting is um, MAPS is the leader and if you're in psychedelics, you have to know MAPS but a lot of people that are not in psychedelics never heard of MAPS. And if they don't know MAPS, they probably don't know Fireside Project or Shakruna or Heroic Hearts or these other organizations that are doing great work in the space as well. And, you know, I went to, I had a uh, meeting with a bunch of music managers last year and we were talking a lot about psychedelics and Portal. And I said, you know, who here has heard of MAPS? And not a single one of them raised their hands, raised their hand. And that to me is like an indicator of where the space has yet to go. And it's also what I think is really exciting is that like, you know, we just assume after you get in the space that everyone would know MAPS. Um, but as you dig into it, they, there's still a lot of awareness to be driven. And that means that there's a lot of growth that can still ha certainly still happen. And so I'm really excited about um, just the future of where organizations like MAPS continue to, to go to. Yeah, they're so nebulous is the word I use for it, where it's like, but I agree, you know, I was a psychonaut for 15 years before I had heard of MAPS. And then I got brought into the fold a little bit. I've got a Rick Doblin puppet right here, actually, that they hooked <laughs> it up with. So, but they just got a wonderful sense of humor, a big fan of what they're doing. And a lot of the organizations you mentioned, Shelby's been on the podcast. I'm a fan of hers as well. A lot of people doing great work. So, you know, it's, I guess at this point, it's about amplifying that work to as broad of an audience or, or you know population as possible so last question i have for you brandon is what are you working on right now well i think you know june the whole year for us honestly was such a sprint and we had we've had growth this year with propeller that we've never had before it's been our biggest year by leaps and bounds and that's been really exciting to see and like the volume of things we've been doing um has been more than we've ever taken on and we're a small team um and so it's been exhausting. And then the event was something that I personally have been working on for about four months, the portal event in Denver. And on top of that, we have Bonnaroo, we have Liz's Juneteenth campaign and a number of other things that happened in June. So June ended up being our biggest month we've ever had. And, um, but I knew it was gonna be exhausting. And I was really, as much as I was excited for the event and all that, I was really excited to get on the other side of it. And so now I'm finally at that point and um, I'm really focused on answering your question for myself. Like, what is next? Where does, where does Propeller go? And um, there's a few areas that I know I want to lean into more, and that is the, the live events. I think there's a real opportunity with creating really unique events um, with Portal and other things, other issues and so forth that are, um, are not, um, not say big festivals, 
but they're like smaller boutique, really unique events. Um, and so as part of that, we're doing a series of after parties at Red Rocks. Um, so we have a partnership with Red Rocks Amphitheater, um, propellers at every Red Rocks show. And um, the venue's been under construction this year, so a lot of things have been put on pause. But starting in August, we're going to be doing after parties at a lot of the events um, that will be for about 200 people, and they will take place at a room within Red Rocks. And so people won't have to leave the venue. Sometimes the artists will come and DJ or, or perform or just make an appearance. And other times we'll just bring in um, you know, other DJs and artists and stuff from the area, but just giving people an opportunity to stay, support a cause, and um, and get to hang out at Red Rocks till two in the morning versus going home at 11 or so. So that's a big part of it. Um, and then I think um, for us, we're trying to find a lot of other ways to drive impact, as I was talking about earlier, and, and how we share those stories. Um, and I think what dovetails with that is content. I've been loving your content, by the way. I gotta, gotta give you props. Um, I always look forward to seeing a new video from you when it pops up on my Instagram. And I don't know if I'm just the, the right target audience, but I just feel like it speaks exactly to me and my interests. And, and it's, um, I think it does for a lot of other people as well. So I'm excited to see that continue to grow. But we want to do a lot more of our own content. It's been something that's kind of been a miss for us um, in, in our history. And I think there's a lot more storytelling um, around these campaigns and causes that we're, we're, we're working on. Um, and and um, and so I'm excited to dive more into that side of things as well. But yeah, it's 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 in a lot of ways kind of pressing the reset button. It might not seem like a drastic change to the public, but for us, it's um, just a really rethinking about like, I always go back to this, what excites me? What, what are the things that I want to wake up and be pumped to work on every day? And like the things that I'm just going through the motions on, I want to like get rid of those and stop doing them. Right on. Well, hit me up because I love making content and I love making people laugh. It's something that I recently discovered that I have a bit of a, an audience now and I like to lean into improv and, and just keep my finger on the pulse. And there's so much absurdity in our world. I think you have to cultivate a sense of humor to survive. And it's something that has been sort of my contribution to this space. And like increasingly I'm getting to do stand up performances like at in Denver, I got to do a stand-up show at Cervantes Theater, and there were like 400 people there. And I remember no showing way. up. No way! I didn't realize. I that. had to leave the venue when I walked in. I thought it was going to be like a small little party, and it was heads all the way back. And I literally turned around and walked around the block, and I was like, "What did I sign up for?" But I love it. It's fun. <laughs> I love being on stage, and just you know, you got to develop a sense of humor. So hey, you're great at it. I hope you continue doing it because I, I could see it just continuing to grow and grow. So oh, they're going to have to drag me out kicking and screaming, man. I'm going to keep. <laughs> doing this. This is what I do. I often make the joke. I'm like, this is the job I was qualified for out of college, but I wasn't really allowed to make jokes about psychedelics in public back then. You know, now yeah. it's a little bit more socially acceptable to speak about. And we're all very grateful for that. So Brandon DeRoche of Propeller, check them out. Propeller.LA. Thanks for coming on the Micopreneur podcast. I foresee some forthcoming collaborations between us, my friend. Awesome. I look forward to it. Thank you for having me. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, micopreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Micopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micopreneur Podcast.